Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect leaders in the gaming industry to discuss passions and challenges. I'm Sol, and I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by a fantastic panel to discuss the role of art and design in player experience. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So, before we delve deeper, uh, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So, I'd like to know a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and what you're passionate about. So, Nadia, would you like to kick us off? Sure thing. Um, So, hi, I'm Nadia. I'm an art director at Soba. And we're working on a, a game creator on basically a user-generated content platform. So our vision is to empower everyone to create games instead of it just being done by game development studios. It's anyone with a mobile phone and an idea that could go in our app and then create their own games. Um, what I'm passionate about is a really difficult topic, honestly. Um, I like a lot of things. I'm not even lying. So honestly, like everything that's arts related, like all arts, movies, music, comic books, but just kind of like also learning, I guess, in general. Sounds so boring. I like history. I love just reading stuff about things that I don't know. So that's a really difficult question for me. Thank you, Nadia. Probably would have been easy there to uh, name what you aren't passionate about, (laughs) but good insight to to yourself. um I can do that too. Um, I don't like football. <laughs> oh, there we go. Throw it out there. Um, Sven, let's hand over to yourself next. Could you give me a little bit of an insight to yourself, please? Yeah. Hi, uh, Sven Schetzke, lead game designer, currently working at Godzilla Games, uh, newly founded uh, AAA studio. We're uh, here to evolutionize or revolutionize uh, the Battle Royale genre, working with really high ranking uh, people like Neil Blomkamp. Uh, and others uh, to create the next generation of battle royals. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty much lifelong gamer. Started gaming when I was five years old. Uh, started uh, by stealing my brother's Game Boy, and uh, have been a gamer since. So that's pretty much my passion, my profession, etc. So I'm also doing some teaching of game design uh, and uh, UX uh, to kids and professionals. Uh, focus on uh, game psychology, monetization, economy design, uh, also passionate about all that stuff. But yeah, that's roughly me. Awesome. Thank you, Sven. So if we hand over to yourself, Sergio, could you jump in next for me? Yes. Hello. I am the art director of Nanotribe. Uh, Nanotribe is a mobile game company based in Berlin, a subsidiary of Rolik and Zynga. We mainly focus on creating hyper-casual games. Uh, my passions are, well, I have a little bit of a hobby. I collect uh, Star Wars action figures. Besides that, I just like any kind of nature or mountain going activities. Awesome. Thank you, Sergio. And finally, over to yourself, Afonso. Hello, uh, my name is Afonso. I'm the art manager at Becca. We are a needy publisher that takes uh, games that are 
kind of like uh, aging out or maybe the developers can't support them anymore and we reinvigorate it through um, live operations and games as a service basically. So basically we're saving out old games, which is pretty cool. Uh, and my passion is actually like transmitting anything I can through art, basically. Uh, kind of like Nadia, I like all art and I don't see myself as anything. Just like art is the only way I know how to uh, do stuff. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I like, like the, the idea of transmitting feelings through art, basically. Awesome, thank you, Afonso. So let's not waste any time. We're here to discuss the role of art and design in player experience today. And our fantastic panel have come up with four subtopics that we're going to delve deeper into. So uh, actually spin it back to yourself, Afonso, to start off with. So you've supplied the subtopic of how do you balance pleasing players and surprising them without falling into traps like making something too boring or familiar or making something too niche and off the wall? So Afonso, could you give us a little bit of an insight on where that question came from and why you chose it? Yeah, I've, you know, we've all been working in the industry for a while and I think something I struggle a lot, which is uh, innovation within the games that we work on. Uh, it's always hard, you know, working for um, a profit uh, driven uh, results and trying to innovate as much as we want, right? So that you can discover new things, but balance that with like, yeah, but then people won't know what anything is about. So like, but also not falling down into the rabbit hole of like, hey, this has to be exactly like all the other games. And I just kind of want to hear everyone's opinion and like, how do you navigate those waters? Because for me, it's really, really hard. Awesome. Thanks for that, Fonso. So Sven, would you like to take the lead with this one? Uh, yes. So I think you proposed a really, really interesting and uh, actually a tough question for me as well. So I had to thought, uh, think about this uh, quite a bit. Uh, I think there's no straight answer, but uh, I think in the end it comes down to having a good mix of uh, familiar and unfamiliar elements so a bit of the unknown uh, but also a bit of the known uh, elements and the percentage of how much known and unknown elements uh, depends uh, on the the audience you're aiming for uh, but also depends on your company or the product you want to create um, <clears throat> so if you uh, want to go more niche for example uh, you can or should maybe even so think of an indie game development um, focus more on niche, right? Really trying to get uh, new mechanics in, something really fresh, unknown, um, uh, new uh, stories, uh, completely uh, unknown elements. Um, and you get away with this much easier because you're not uh, aiming for the mass market, but really for a more smaller segment of people that would be interested in this. Um, but if you really want to aim for the mass market, right? Uh, think uh, not only games, but also Hollywood movies, if you want to reach really just the masses, you still need to have something fresh, but you also need to have uh, a good portion of what is known to people already. Think of uh, for storytelling, the hero's journey or similar elements. Um, so people expect certain things and you should follow this, right? That satisfies a certain need. If I watch a hero movie, I expect something. I need to uh, get these needs fulfilled. Uh, but I, if it's just the same again, then that's where you end up, you're being too samey to, to other products uh, and you lose uniqueness, right? So you need a bit of really unique, uh, authentic uh, USP uh, on that uh, that side of things. Um, but this really depends, right? So if you uh, aim for more mass market, I think you have a bigger portion of uh, what is more known uh, or more same uh, familiar for, for players. Uh, if you uh, try to carve out more your area, then maybe it's... Uh, uh, yeah, more uh, of the unknown. Uh, 
uh, and having a good uh, mix in, in general on this. Uh, so I think there's also some uh, uh, good examples. Uh, for example, also depends if you have already a set brand. Uh, you, of course, need to be very similar uh, to that, that brand already uh, doing fan servers, etc. Um, good example here would be Metroid Dread, I think. I'm not sure if uh, you guys played this, uh, but it's really just follow, following the Metroidvania formula, the Metroid formula, with adding one key feature. But that's where the Dread name comes from, really putting the player into a, a exciting and dreadful situations. Um, another element here, or uh, the, the opposite, would be uh, more niche, uh, super giant games. Uh, you have heard of them, uh, probably in the games, uh, previous games like Transistor, um, current game Hades, uh, Hades, really popular game. So where Transistor really uh, went fresh, completely new way, they were more niche market, they had more niche gameplay mechanics, etc., etc., but still very good and very successful this way. Where Hades took the, the other approach, something that's more popular, more established already, uh, and putting this uh, in a, a fresh uh, coating, so to say, and really uh, doing this top notch. Um, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm starting to ramble. So, but yeah, I think uh, uh, summing up a good mix uh, and depending on your audience and product that you want to create uh, would be the approach here. Thank you very much, Sven. And over to yourself, Nadia, anything to add on to Sven's points there? Yeah, well, actually, I think that was a really good answer. Um, I had something similar, but then not as well thought out as what you had, uh, and I worded it differently. So how I think of it is I'm always looking for the twist. Um, and it can be a really small twist, and it can be a really big twist. So playing a devil's advocate, I would also argue that a lot of the times people really don't want um, to be surprised. Um, like look at the Assassin's Creed series. Um, there'll be there'll be a new theme. There'll be like some little tweaks on mechanics, but overall, it's a very clear development line from the first one to the last one, right? Like you expect in Assassin's Creed, like if you're a FIFA fan, there's not a lot of surprise that you want in your new FIFA update, right? Um, but then speaking of football, um, check out Rocket League. You've got cars and they're playing ball. So that's, I guess, a pretty big twist. So that's just how I look at it. Um, speaking of brands, I always think about like the changes that Batman went through. You know, like from the 60s, no, 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 Batman to like the Dark Knight. Who knows what like the Gen Z, I guess we already have the Gen Z Batman. That's that. Um, I didn't watch that movie yet with the, with the Twilight guy, Robert something. <clears throat> but yeah, um, whenever you can look for ways to add twists. Sometimes it's in visuals, sometimes it's in mechanics, sometimes it's in marketing. It depends on everything else that's going on. Thank you, Nadi. Some great points there. Uh, Sergio, I'll hand it back to yourself. Uh, anything to add on to, to, uh, to Nadi's points there? I like your answer. So yes, we, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one because we live in, in a kind of world where we have a lot of content right now. So if, if we're speaking about, about games or movies, so the pressure is even more so if we are discussing about a well-established franchise. Uh, there are some expectations from the players, right? So we need to kind of read those players. But as you guys uh, mentioned before, there needs to be a well-balanced there because you can't just go for a, for a fan, fan service 
as long as it doesn't make sense with the project and what's the goal of the whole project and how what's what's the whole um, core idea of the whole project. Um, I think I think yes, it needs to to be a bit of, of balance between what players expect, something original, um, and yeah, I think just a good a good mix of of, the, of those. Awesome. Thank you very much for your insights on those guys. So we'll move on to the next topic then. Sergio, I'll spin it back to yourself. You uh, supplied the topic of how do we connect with the human element and understand their psychology in order to get the player in the zone? So could you give us a bit of an idea on why it is you chose that topic and what it is that's interesting to you about it? Yes. So uh, in my line of work, we target an audience that connects with the game in a very rational way. We kind of have to connect with their feelings and everything is about connect with either a visual, either an animation, either a haptic. How do you guys connect with that part of the psychology of the player? Awesome. Thank you, Sergio. Afonso, could you start us off with that one, please? Yeah, so I worked a lot in prototypes and also worked at Voodoo before, so I know the type of games. And something that, like, so in that type of experience, which is really, really bite-sized, right? It's really, really small, like it's like a snap thing where you need to get the game and start playing. Um, how we used to do that is, like, all our inspiration, tried, we tried to come up with it from actual things in our lives, right? Little moments in our lives where we feel like they're satisfactory and we have, like, some sort of dopamine rush. Uh, and... And then, so that would be something for like these games that are really, really short uh, term, kind of like where you're just jumping in. Uh, when we worked at Candy Crush, we kind of have that same feeling when you're like um, matching the candies and stuff, right? I think it's that like, um, we always talked about like the snap factor, factor, which is like, whenever you test your own game, you need to kind of get lost a little bit in it. If you're not, and it's kind of like, I don't, I, it's kind of like a toxic maybe thing, but like for me, it's really like, if you're not really kind of like addicted to your own game when you're trying to play it and see like, where the mistakes are. If you're not addicted to it, no one else is going to be also kind of, or maybe, like, I really think the biggest thing there is like, try to find something in your life that you feel gives you that little dopamine thing, and then try to convey that into a game and then test that game until it has the same feeling. basically. And if you get that, then I'm pretty sure you always have some sort of hit or at least some sort of interesting game that then you can like, you know, do all the other work around it, like the promotion and all this stuff. But like, if that first thing doesn't work, usually the games don't work at all. Thank you, Afonso. Um, Nadia, do you want to jump in next for us? Um, again, that was a super good answer. I think you also like immediately understood where uh, Sergio was coming from. So um, I don't really have that experience working on hyper-casual, but I can totally see where you guys are coming from. I was kind of thinking of it more in, you know, like what kind of tools you have to get people into a mood. So I was like thinking of it like, you know, in movies, you have sound and composition, camera movement, pacing, that type of stuff. All those things can make you feel a certain way. And in video games, we have the same tools plus game mechanics. Um, for example, like if you want your uh, player to feel like they're super vulnerable and small at the start, but then they get increasingly powerful and until the point that the power corrupts them or something, you do that through progression mechanics, maybe combined with like narrative and also, you know, like all of the other movie tools that you would use. So I was thinking of it more in that way, you know, like st uh, strategical games through mechanics um, combined with theming are really good at making me feel really smart. Like I love playing Civ, like that historical setting combined with the complexity of mechanics makes me feel like I'm this like super ruthless, genius, calculated ruler. And that's just the tools that they've used um, to make me feel that way. So that's kind of like how I interpreted that question. Mm -hmm. And Sven, I'll pass it over to yourself. 
Yeah, uh, really interesting. I, I had a mix also on uh, uh, both of your answers here. Um, <clears throat> so also ties a bit into the question I will ask later and uh, how mechanics will shape experiences. So this is really, really tightly connected. Uh, so my answer here would be, um, so how do you connect uh, to the a human level or uh, how to get players in the zone um, would be really on a basic level. So that's uh, via, via emotions, right? So if you have something, especially on hyper casual, I think if you can, <clears throat> there's a uh, uh, way of telling super short, but super emotional stories, right? Like one sentence horror uh, 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 movies, right? You just uh, uh, tell a sentence and this gets you into a certain feeling. So <clears throat> if you can connect with this, just via super quick, animations via super quick, uh, uh, quick and dirty setup of a scenario, right? So everyone can connect with a mother screaming at their son or uh, someone being left alone as a kid or something like this. So everything that you can depict like in just one picture and then tie a mechanic to this, I think that's one way to connect. Uh, another way here is uh, I'm a fan of the self-determination theory, so autonomy, competence, uh, relatedness, so everything that uh, goes for the basic human needs. Uh, I think that's also way here. So uh, quick reflexes uh, that uh, might get people hooked uh, and uh, into the mood uh, and into the flow as well. Uh, another part then uh, what Alfonso also mentioned, uh, the uh, right, really fundamental satisfying elements like uh, how our brain works, pattern recognitions, uh, face recognition, everything, how our brain is built. If you utilize this uh, in mechanics, it can also be uh, addicting even uh, quite fast, right? So these uh, these elements, uh, and then uh, regarding tools, that's also uh, the way I thought about this. So big fan of the uh, flow theory by uh, Mihai Chik Sent Mihai. Um, <clears throat> so that's a, a really strong so uh, uh, element here. Not just the uh, often it's understood as just uh, the challenge, uh, <clears throat> the difficulty channel. Uh, for people to stay in a certain difficulty is to not uh, uh, create anxiety or boredom, but always have the right difficulty. And this is uh, just a misconception because this is just one part, one conclusion of that theory. So that goes uh, far deeper. Uh, and in general, I believe the uh, UX design um, <clears throat> field uh, profession gives lots and lots and lots of uh, hints, uh, usability heuristics, how to remove friction, obstacles, um, and ways to follow, so to really create experiences that bring the player into the flow, because the more flow breakers you have, the less people can actually get into the immersion, into the flow, etc. So that will also be uh, roughly my answer. Yeah, and myself, I think it's a, an absolutely fan, uh, fascinating topic as well to, to look into like, you know, the human psyche side of, of gaming and what it is that actually makes us connect to it. So, you know, my example would be, you know, I think of some games that, you know, were award-winning and really went above and beyond some of the other games that were coming out at those times, like The Walking Dead and The Last of Us were two games that got you incredibly emotionally invested into the game. And th there was a different level of commitment there where it's more than just a game. So I'll throw it out to the room here, you know, what's a game that has made you guys feel that way, you know, that, where you felt emotionally connected and invested in the game? Nadia, go on. Um, from, and that's a really fun question. Um, so I love RPGs with narrative and they are incredibly good at doing exactly this. 
um, because you already get invested when you start creating your character. You don't even know anything about the world yet. And you're already like spending hours <laughs> in the character customization screen, getting hella attached to this new person that you're going to sp spend uh, a lot of time with. For me, honestly, um, it's so many games by Bioware. I think Mass Effect, maybe the most, where, you know, like, um, I've been sticking with these characters for three games. I don't know how many hours that are. It's a very long time. I've been romantically involved with them. I've done things. I've done things for them that are unforgivable. Like I've made moral choices that were not good because I love these characters so much because I wanted to see them alive and I wanted them near. And then at the end, you have to say goodbye to them. Like not goodbye as in it's the end of the series. No. Everything, every, every, everything's dying around you. So like for me, RPGs always do this really, really well, especially the ones where you have like a group that you've invested in, like people that you've done things for and you had to make moral choices. That always gets me. What are some of the other games, guys? What, what games have got you emotionally invested, Sven? Um, so I think there's some some classic ones really that <clears throat> built the whole game experience uh, really around this emotional impact. Uh, some of them, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, uh, for those that know it, right? Complete empty world, you feel completely lonely. Uh, <clears throat> and then just meeting these and then having to kill those giants. Uh, that's one of the experiences. Uh, then uh, To the Moon, uh, uh, an indie uh, diamond, uh, so to say. Uh, where it's about, <clears throat> uh, yeah, don't want to spoil the story, but everyone who has uh, one, uh, a fable for uh, really emotional games, uh, try this one. Simple game mechanics, but really, really strong emotional, uh, emotionally. Um, other games that, even though they're not focused on this, uh, so think of Ori and the Blind Forest, right? Uh, where just the tutorial part, uh, they really built in uh, some emotional connections. Uh, another one that I just uh, was able to pick up myself is Undertale. So really, uh, coming back to Nadia's uh, twist, right? it's Undertale, uh, another indie game where they really put in a twist uh, on the whole combat. So you really have to befriend all your uh, all your enemies uh, instead of killing them, which is a really, really cool uh, twist on things. Uh, so they're really, really good examples. And uh, this is also, I think, one area where games strongly go more into the, the realm of being art than just games. Or another one could be um, Journey or Flowers, I think it's called, where it's uh, really just about uh, peaceful exploration, uh, things like that. But I could go on and on, so I'll stop here. Sure. Uh, Afonso, can you jump in with uh, what's yours? Be interested to hear. Yeah, so first of all, I'd like to mention, of course, like Pokemon, the first one that I got for Game Boy, like when I was a kid, that was the first time where a game made me kind of like feel really engaged because like, you know, you're kind of collecting these little things and I feel like right now we don't do it anymore. Maybe when I play it, we're playing it like super strategically, but like at the time you're really like writing out your PG until until the last moment because it's like it's your first Pokemon, so you really want to have it there on your team. Uh, but like that's the first one, but that, other than that, like the latest one that I was really impressed um, in terms of art specifically and like mood was uh, it's uh, the Chinchan game like the summer vacation it's like this uh, it's like this game based on an older game it's like a remake but with the Chinchan uh, brand on top and the way the camera works and like the scenarios and stuff it looks like a Ghibli movie kind of it's really incredible the mood it kind of really feels like you're in a summer vacation I really love that so yeah what about you Sergio? 
Yeah, so I would name uh, one of the latest games I played, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which I really like because it's very cinematic, so they don't use any UI on the screen. Even once you kind of point a waypoint on your map, uh, the wind kind of guides you, so you don't have any interfere on the, on the UI in that sense. Uh, it, it's very focused on, on the cinematic part and on the visuals. Uh, besides that, I would uh, want to mention an Uncharted series, uh, which kind of, of course, uh, they're kind of releasing some dopamine because they're action-packed. Uh, a story-driven one, as you also mentioned, so um, is The Last of Us, uh, both, uh, both parts. Um, for me, again, one, of, one game from the past, one of my favorite games is uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which again connects with me mostly because of the nostalgia part. Right, so growing up with the whole Star Wars universe and also being the, as I mentioned earlier, uh, an actual figure collector within the Star Wars universe, right? So this is something that connected with me based on nostalgia. Some fantastic games there. I think for this one, especially in relation to connecting with the human element, a really interesting game that jumps out to me is probably Titanfall 2. I'm not sure if any of you are aware of the storyline of that one, but of course you are greeted in the first chapter by a robot that's been sent by one of the commanders to look after you. And, you know, a few chapters go by and all of a sudden he's uh, catching you as you slide off the top of a falling building. And, you, you know, it's it's that sort of connection with a, with a robot that has sort of human traits and it really sort of makes you feel very very emotional towards it and you get so invested in you know you care about this robot that at one point was just a piece of machinery so i love the way that the story develops in that game and it's one of my all-time favorites sven that's yeah, actually a very very good example of uh, how the relatedness part of self-determination theory is, is affecting you right so npcs even robots in games can really you can create a bond to them same as in, in movies uh, and that can be a really strong connector uh, for people Fantastic, guys. So let's jump into the next topic. I think you mentioned, Sven, that yours is uh, quite related. So let's jump into yours. Uh, you proposed the topic of how mechanics shape experiences. Nice and simple. Could you elaborate on that one for us and then tell us why you chose that topic? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, this this topic, of course, is a bit of, at the heart of uh, everything I do uh, and interested in since I'm young. Uh, but as we also have some some the, the art side, right, this connects into the last question we'll have. Uh, on that part, I'm really interested uh, in your view on, on this. Uh, so how do game mechanics pretty much shape the experiences? So one of the, the examples I have always in my head for this, it's very uh, speaking for itself, is uh, so survival game, right? Uh, the How you uh, change, for example, the looting mechanic or the amount of loot you get, how this can change the feeling, the atmosphere, everything that you experience, uh, and what your, so yeah, pretty much what your view on this is. Awesome. Any volunteers to step up first? Alfonso, take us away. Uh, yeah, I, it's like you said, it's kind of connected to the other question. Um, the one game I feel, again, one of the first games I played that gave me that feeling of like how much it shaped the experience of how I was feeling during the game. I think it was Resident Evil 2. Uh, the way the camera is positioned within the mansion, I think it's two, one or two, I don't remember, because I was really young. <laughs> like the way you the way they did horror in terms of like, you don't know what's in the corridor because you always have to kind of check, like the camera is behind you, right? So you're moving forward. Uh, the zombie comes after you and you're like, I didn't know it was there. Also the controls are not connected to the camera, right? So maybe you're moving to the left and then you the camera changes and now the left button is the right kind of. And that's kind of like, it really ups up the fear basically for, for, for especially for a five-year-old <laughs> playing Resident Evil for the first time. Um, and then, 
like again, and then if you go into the bite size, I think the best thing, and it's not a game, but like because I also work on social media a little bit, like the way TikTok kind of like uh, makes it feel like you're watching TV, like in the old times where you're just changing channels and surfing the TV to see what's what. I think that's also the same thing where it's like you're just getting a feeling like from the 90s basically, and the new generation doesn't know it. So they're like, let's just get this feeling to the new kids. And they don't even know what hit them, but it's basically that. It's just like, I don't know what I want to see. I just know that I want to be distracted for a while. So let me just get this thing and change channels, basically. So so yeah, I think, yeah, it can exist with everything, right? So yeah. That's some fantastic examples, actually, Afon. So Nadia, what can you add to that? Man, I'm such a TikTok addict. It's really bad. Uh, I want to add to this that not only have they recreated this feeling of flipping through channels, they've added an algorithm to it that is just genius. So you tell TikTok once that you're into something, you don't even have to like a video. It's just like, it's watching you watch videos and it's like, you want more of this? You want more of that? And it just flows into more of what you want. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm guilty of falling into TikTok myself. You know, you lose an hour to that easily. and. It definitely does tap into the psyche. I never thought of it in that way, Afon. So it's like it's changing channels, but it does make a lot of sense. It does. Um, anything to add to the other gents? No? Oh, go ahead, Sergio. Sergio, could you unmute yourself, please, bud? Yes. So I would jump in here more as a as a player than uh, than as a as a, an artist. Um, so once I, I kind of play a game that kind of raises the bar in the mechanics. So for example, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, right? I, I remember I was playing the, that game at the same time I was playing also one of the Assassin's Creed, I think Odyssey. And the whole animations and the aiming system was such a game changer in that game that once I kind of switched from one game to another and I switched to the Assassin's Creed one, I could totally feel a difference and I just couldn't get used to the, to the aiming system, for example, in, in Assassin's Creed. Um, I think I think this is an important aspect because once you kind of raise the bar, it's hard to kind of go back. And I think everybody in, in if they're paying attention uh, to their mechanics, I think they should kind of check the best, uh, uh, you know, example out there and just bring it forward, you know, just improve that or make an iteration of that in that sense. Yeah, and I think just pondering on it for a second, I think, Afonso, your example of the Resident Evil game is really interesting because I know there were some uh, disappointed fans who'd played it because they thought that it was clunky and it was quite difficult to get around the map, but actually it's very smart that the game actually forces you to see what they want you to see. It's very cinematic in a way that you do turn a corner and you're greeted with a body on the floor, and it's like you may not have seen that if you were just running through the room, so I think that's, that's really interesting. Nadia? Um, I have like an example related to this um, that was really good and also incredibly annoying. Um, remember the Wii U, you guys, like one of the weirdest consoles that came out in the last, uh, I don't know how many years. Um, but there was Zombie U, a game that came out specifically for the Wii U, where it was a zombie game, a one where you're very fragile, not super powerful. And um, you only have you could only carry like something in your one hand and then one in the other hand. And if you wanted to switch what you had in your hand, you had to grab it out of your backpack. Now, where is your backpack? It's the Wii U screen. So you had to look away from your TV 
to your Wii U, uh, Wii U screen as zombies were approaching, making you extra vulnerable if you wanted to go from torchlight to whatever weapon you had in there. So that's like a, that's like a mechanic that really added to the terror of being chased by zombies. And another one that I think is really beautiful um, is in Journey. <clears throat> so Journey is a social game but there's um, no talking, there's no chat, there's no uh, voice chat or something like that. And they really wanted to have Journey be a game that where you were kind, where the social aspect was that you're helping other people on their journey after you finished your own. Um, and you guys have probably played a bunch of social games and you know as soon as something is social, there's a lot of room for people to be not nice because of all the things that game characters can do. So in Journey, they made the character not have arms. That way you can't push others. That way you can't be kind of like rude with your arms. Like they made all of these like design choices um, that increased that feeling of um, kindness. You could only communicate by moving around. Um, there really wasn't that much else to do except for show people the way. Um, so that's an example that came to mind as well. Awesome, Sven, anything to add? Oh, yeah, just uh, when talking about Resident Evil, I think uh, that's a, a series that regularly reinvents some, some of the UX. So Resident Evil 4, for example, uh, with the change of, okay, now you go into your inventory or want to mess with that, it doesn't pause anymore. So all these little tweaks uh, that really strengthen uh, the fear aspect. And the same thing, exactly, right? Uh, Resident Evil 1 or 2, uh, there were actually some mods uh, that changed the controls. Uh, or even allowed uh, turning the camera, stuff like this. And that takes away so much of the atmosphere and uh, the horror feeling. So definitely very good examples. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. And on to our final topic then. So I think, Nadia, we're going to finish with your own topic, which is when function follows form, can art inspire game design instead of vice versa? So Nadia, yeah, can you give us a bit of an idea on why you chose that one, please? First of all, I'm really excited to hear you guys, your answers. Um, but the reason why I chose this topic is because I used to believe that form follows function. I always considered art as a sort of servant of their overall design, <clears throat> something that's supposed to um, support the experience by, for example, visualizing um, hierarchy, you know, like this armor is more powerful than that armor because it looks a certain way or the way that, you know, like a theme can let you know what to expect in a kind of game or even, you know, like to attract a certain kind of audience. Young people want something to look differently than uh, an older generation. And that's really how I saw my job as, you know, like it was my job to understand the design and then come up with the theme and the art style that best fitted that. But I started to question this. Um, like, what if you just start with art instead and then the mechanics follow? So I do have like some examples that started sort of that way. Um, like, for example, there was this um, person on Twitter who made um, this shader that made everything look like a Mobius comic. Like it was these vast landscapes with ancient technology and ruins. And then Twitter demanded that they make a game out of it. So that became a game, it's called Sable. It kind of plays like Breath of the Wild. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. Or there is this other artist, um, I think he's Swedish, called Simon Stalenberg, and he creates these paintings. They look like Norway or Canada. Again, vast landscapes, really rural and familiar, but then with like giant sci-fi stuff in the background, like mechas or vehicles, like really, or cities floating in the sky. 
Um, it's really haunting yet nostalgic. It's a really odd feeling. And another game company took that and made a video game into that. Um, so you can clearly take inspiration from it, but it feels like a lot of those examples have sort of like it's a visual and then you look for an existing gameplay type to fit that. But can art inspire like a whole new way of playing? And what comes to mind is maybe like games like Fez, where, you know, like it's pixely and then the twisting thing that happens, or maybe even Minecraft, maybe it started with a voxel style and then it's like, well, you can do anything with voxels or super hot. You, got, you guys know that shooter game that's like an all white space background. And then like these red characters and it's bullet time and um, you only time only moves when you move, uh, that type of thing. I don't actually know if that's how it started, but it could be. So yeah, I was wondering um, if like how you guys feel about that. Sven, take us away, please. Uh, uh, thank you a lot for, for bringing up the question and uh, also might support a bit less popular view on this, uh, but I fully agree. So um, <clears throat> I'm doing game design now for 15 years, right? Uh, roughly about that. So really as a lead game designer for a couple of years as well. And uh, so often there's a discussion uh, of Okay, but always uh, form follows function, right? And uh, for me, uh, this was a guideline. I followed also for a couple of years, but with the years and more experience, I saw the beauty of not just doing this, uh, but I think the the pinnacle here, really the, the peak of art is when art and uh, function really come together, right? So work hand in hand. And this is not just uh, the art assets or the design of the mechanics, but also the, the music, uh, everything around this. Um, <clears throat> so that's when it's, uh, I think, comes really uh, creates the, oh, sorry, I got shortly distracted. Uh, that's when it uh, really creates uh, the best uh, outcomes and uh, might, I hope I'm not not offending anyone by by saying this, but it feels for me like I have to at some point. For me, it feels like the form follows function is a very good guideline, but for more junior people. But as uh, more senior you become, the more uh, it's uh, it opens up the room also to go the other way, not just for inspiration, but really for for giving direction as well. So as you gave some good examples, uh, art can really inspire games or games to be created out of art. Uh, for us in Godzilla, for example, we have Neil Blomkamp, who's a visionary, right? He's not uh, the doesn't have uh, decades of game design experience, but he has really strong visuals, really strong in atmosphere, everything in that regard. And uh, we take this, we get inspired by this, but also get led by this because this creates complete different experiences by utilizing this. So I think uh, here the the form follows function. Um, is often used as a way also for game designers to pretty much dictate uh, some some elements of games, which I don't like. I rather uh, collaborate on this. Uh, and also, we had some some uh, over my career, I had some several discussions on this. So, should marketing be able to to uh, influence the game or game design? Uh, so, in uh, one decade ago, it was like, okay, should there be Right, a few lines on the box that sold the game, right? Should marketing be able to put a certain line here, right? And should the game or the design follow these inspirations, right? We really want to have cool giants in the game or we want to have big mecha elements in the world. Um, 
And I think game design should get inspired by art, by marketing, by all the other, by all inputs uh, they can get. And the more mature you are, the more uh, um, in the game design field, I think the more open and possible it is uh, to follow these directions as well. So definitely something I would like to uh, to emphasize and push forward more. I think uh, game design should not be the, the dictator of uh, uh, the game or the experience, uh, but should be uh, the collaborator that takes all the inputs from all the different uh, people, from diverse people, from uh, all different cultures, from all different professions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's uh, what uh, I think then creates the, the strongest, strongest games. Great points there, Sven. Afonso, can you add anything to that for me? Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention, like, I I do agree with the seniority thing, right? Like, it's easier for juniors, but I think it's, you give one step backwards, and it's it's kind of like a curve that goes up and down. It's like, when you're really starting, I do think that, like, art is, like, indie games are usually way more about feeling and not so much about the mechanics. So I think people that are coming in from outside the, the, the industry, they really go for that. Like, maybe they just start with mood boards, and then they start a game off of that. And then when you get into the industry, are you in a more like uh, controlled environment? I do think that it's a good guideline, right? To help people sort out their feelings or sort out their thoughts before they start a project. But it's also because it lowers risk a little bit, right? Because you kind of know what you're doing. And then, yeah, the more experience you get, and, and I think this pertains with art, pertains to everything, like music, anything. Like the more experience you get, then, then you can start breaking stuff again and kind of just like, let me just go by feeling again and like uh, instinct. Uh, and I think the... For me, at least the best examples of like things uh, that are done from like it comes from art and then it goes to to games. It's like when you see stuff from like uh, TV shows or movies that then become games. And usually they're all awful, or, or at least when I was like a kid, it was like the Game Boy game of the Hunt for the Red October or something, right? And it's like a game that you can't even play because it makes no sense because I just wanted to sell some games. But more and more, I feel like since games are becoming more mainstream. The people on these TV shows also like games and kind of also know what they're doing. So like, for example, the South Park games, I really think they're amazing and they connect really well the show with the game and some mechanics in the game come from the show, right? Like from the jokes on the show. One of the best ones for me, is like, uh, sometimes you're fighting on the street and then a car comes by and the game stops completely and you just kind of like, the, the game stops and then you have to let the car pass because they're just playing, they're just kids, right? And then they go back and then the RPG starts again, stuff like that. Or like um, you have like someone with a stutter and then they let you kind of skip the text, although you're not supposed to just so stuff like that, which is like really awful South Park jokes. But like, I think that's, those are the best examples, maybe because they're the only ones where people are allowed to kind of like, because they have to come from games. But like you said, even like the Walking Dead games, you know, like the feeling comes from the, the comics first and then the show and then the games kind of, right? Uh, so yeah, I I do believe in that, and I, I I do really love games that are more than from the art side than the design side, or from the design side but with the same perspective. Well, like design is not about these all these things that we know. It's like let's just try and do something crazy. And just one more thing, sorry, because I know I'm taking a long time, but like the most fun I had working was like when I was at King, and then there was a year that I was just doing prototypes, and it was just me, a game designer, and a developer in the room. And we were really just looking at feelings, basically, because I remember one of the phrases that we once used was like, no one wants to be a building, because I had this idea of like, what if you're a building? And then I had like this whole drawn out thing of buildings. And then the game designer was like, I, I don't want to be a building. And I was like, okay, fair enough. But like, so looking at that through that lens, I think it's also the most fun thing of like making a game is like looking through it, not as a game, but just like as a thing. And then maybe there's a mechanic in there or something. So yeah. Which building would you like to be out of interest if you could be a building? 
uh, I was thinking of like those Evangelion buildings where like everything's systems are controlled. So it's basically like, yeah, I don't know, maybe Five Nights at Freddy was probably like the closest game that they could think of. Yeah. But the idea was like that you're a, a building that's like you can turn on down the AC and then people are like super hot, so they move to another part of the building or something, but like some sort of intelligent building. But I always think of the Evangelion ones that go up and down to the earth and stuff like that. Thank you, Afonso. Sergio, could you uh, add anything to those points for me? Yes, I totally relate to the, the part also you, you mentioned about being stuck in a room with your colleagues uh, making prototypes. This is not something very relatable because sometimes, uh, in my case, for example, we were just focusing on adding uh, some game features or even entire uh, ideas based on a relatable element or just an ASMR element that just connects with uh, on, just connects with the player. You know, it's, it's something uh, satisfying. Uh, then we just agree on it. Okay, this looks nice. This this feels nice. And then the game designer the designer just jump and try to gamify it. And this is the same the same thing. For example, we mentioned earlier about um, TikTok, right? So we have all kinds of ASMR content out there. So everything can be gamified in them, right? Uh, I think I think it works. It works uh, both ways. Um, even in my experience. So a lot of times we created the art before we actually made the, the game design. Awesome, thank you. Has anyone got anything to add, Sven? Uh, interestingly, <clears throat> I think we're circling back to the first question, right? So it's about uh, connecting to the human part, uh, to to the basic needs uh, of players, etc. So, uh, and I think art is equally powerful in creating emotions and connections with players <clears throat> as mechanics are, right? So mechanics enforce this, but uh, our eyes, uh, whatever we perceive via our eyes, I think is uh, one of the very strong elements here. So yeah, I think that uh, that uh, also shows how equally important uh, these aspects are. Thank you very much, Ben. Any final points from you guys? No. Okay, well, thank you very much to my panel today, and thank you very much for listening to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank our guests today, Afonso, Nadia, Sergio, and Sven, for providing their amazing insights to the topic and lending us their time. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and we look forward to welcoming you again very soon.